0: And welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. Every single Monday, we're not missing this year. I've been very, very bad about this the past couple of years It goes Monday, then it'll come out on Thursday or Wednesday, but you can expect it every single Monday. We've got a murderer's row of guests lined up early. Last week, Blake Murphy. This week, a dear friend, one of my favorite people to interact with online and in podcast form, and eventually when he takes my ankles in a game when we finally meet up in Toronto but it's Fandiar Arberheny who does some of the best if not the best uh, video content regarding sports as far as basketball he's always putting out fantastic stuff on a multitude of teams and I fell in love with his Shoei Otani video that he did for baseball he's got range is what I'm saying and that's over at the score their YouTube channel he's doing the heavy lifting S how are you doing brother
1: I'm good, man. Thank you. Thank you very much for the intro. Hey, by the way, by the way, I'm not the only man who's doing some crazy YouTube content. You just, you interviewed a guy last week pretty cool guy. Common, common friend of ours, Mr. Blake Murphy, who's, who's dabbling into the YouTube sphere too. So I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I, Hey, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'll, I'll toot Blake's. All right. Blake is the to the horn to be tooted here uh, with that awesome Scotty video, the yes. horn to be tooted. Is that, is that the way, is that the way to say it? Yeah, sure. Let's rock with it. Thank you for the introduction, by the way. Appreciate it.
0: I was actually going to congratulate you on the horn to be tooted. The way you phrased that uh, would be something that would be the way that I would phrase it myself. So it, it tickled something in my brain that said, yes, good. That's the way to do it. And uh, for anybody (laughs) listening, you should watch Blake's uh, video piece on Scotty Barnes about how he's been able to score. And if you're listening to this now, it means that probably my piece on Scotty Barnes biomechanics are out as well. So you can just go to Raptors Republic. I talked to an MD, who uh, dabbles in a lot of biomechanics and we broke down the body of Scotty Barnes. So you can do that too, but S uh, enough plugging. Let's, let's do the actual, (laughs) the actual talking. So here's the thing. The Raptors are at four and three currently they've won three in a row. I predicted 34 wins for them this season. I know you were also low on them. Uh, what has gone the opposite way of what you'd thought that brings them to this <laughs> point? And it's fine. If you just want to say they had an easy schedule, I never been wrong in my life, you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, I, is, the answer is honestly as easy as Scotty Barnes. Um, I, I personally came into this season thinking You know, it wasn't going to be right out the gate as good as he's been so far, both offensively and some of the defensive flashes that he's shown, although I'm sure we'll we'll get to the concerns aspect of that as well. Um, No, I I think I think a lot of that just has been him. You know, I thought he was he was going to be much he wasn't going to be as as good realistically right out the gate. I really didn't think that to put it to put it simply, I just didn't think he would be this right out off the bat it's just been really surprising to me as well i know a lot of people have been tweeting about it talking about it podcasting about it as well but the some of the strides he's made developmentally are way ahead of what we expected going into this season so i think that's that's kind of the answer here it's it's scotty's taking the leap but that's actually weird to say because there's there's no there's no there's no precedent for it so i can't even say the leap but i guess that he's just exceeded expectations to what we imagined
0: Mm -hmm. i uh i'm gonna give you the first crack at this because you and i both i know uh watch a lot of basketball and when we find something we like we remark upon it are there any funny quirks of scotty barnes game that you've picked up on that you think this is part of what's making it go
1: hmm that's a good question. You, you have very good questions. Um, (laughs) I, I, I think, uh, I think one of the quirks I've noticed is that, and this isn't really a quirk is that he's just realized he's taller than a lot of people. Uh, like he's longer, he's just taller. So for those mid range shots that everybody is enamored with, he's able to just rise up over anybody, almost anybody in the league. Uh, and he has that advantage there, so he doesn't necessarily need, need to, like his handle doesn't need to be there just yet. Obviously, it could get better, but he doesn't need to create that separation with his handle as much because he can rise up over a defender and just shoot it over him. Uh, same thing applies in the post, and and you know when he's when he's kind of bodying down there or, or trying to grab grab a board on the offensive glass. I think those are the type of situations where you just see his length and his size factor in so much. I did not think it was going to be this big of a factor when he came out of college right away. I was just like, okay, yes, he's a big guy. He he's long, you know, that can help on the, the, the defensive end, maybe on off ball stuff, but he's clearly found that to be an advantage early. Um, And I think that's the thing that kind of stood out to me most, at least, at least from yesterday's game against the Pacers. So
0: how great would it be if they unearthed a quote of his, where he was like, you know, at Florida State was like, sometimes I forget how tall I am. And then you come in here and you're like, I think he knows he's tall now. Like this guy yeah. actually is looking at his arms, almost like um, the uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, once he starts looking at his fingers and he's like, what yeah. power lies here, you know? And he's starting to not only use his length to get to advantageous spots on the court, but is using mm-hmm. his length to finish over players defensively I think he's like 72% at the rim. I think he's a he's just under 40% in the like uh out the restricted area to the free throw line and then on the deep, the long twos, I'm pretty sure he's shooting like like close to 50%. Yeah, it's although, near 50. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, although on a not much volume at all. It's been so interesting to watch him uh and just not to take Blake's whole thing that he wrote about, well, that he talked about, but basically the the shorthand, and this is something that, you know, a few people are picking up on, but genuinely go watch Blake's video. It has all the the uh, visual cues that you'd want to kind of dictate, you know, how is this working? But the Especially big Especially
1: Blake's face. Blake's face is a big visual <laughs> cue.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And uh, sorry. sorry, go ahead. I'm yeah. sure you're making a great point that I- Sorry, go ahead.
0: But uh, Scotty is able to- to leverage his abilities as a passer to coax defenses into situations and rotations that he finds advantageous for his own scoring. So, a player like Scotty Barnes, who coming out of the draft, labeled a zero level score by Sam Vicini, who is lauded as a very in the know draft guy, he's well, he's the athletic, he's their biggest draft guy. And he said he's a zero level score. And everybody, the consensus was that Scotty Barnes was a high, high level passer. And we've seen a guy who has basically done very little creation for teammates and a whole bunch of creation for himself. For himself. He's completely flipped it on his head and it it leaves everybody up in arms. In fact, I'm in a, a draft Twitter group chat that is today, like just today was kind of like hashing it out. Like, how, the, how did we miss this? And of course, Henry Ward stood atop the mountaintop and said, I did not. I said this would happen. <laughs> uh, and people might remember Henry Ward and myself. Uh, we did a podcast in the summer. Uh, a lot about Scotty Barnes and what the Raptors might do. And that's the next thing I want to ask you the Raptors and this play style that has them as one of the vaunted defenses in the league. Albeit there is something, and this could be the, the pessimist inside of me, but it's interesting that the teams they've played so far, I think have matched up pretty well for their play style defensively and you know, maybe the Wizards game is just the first game, or maybe it's a team that has good driving guards that was able to cut through some of the dig downs and some of the pinching in that is effective against big men and wings, but maybe guards would punch through those gaps. And Washington did quite handily. I'm interested to see them do that the rest of the season, but just off the dome, like the spark notes of S's watching these games, what does he (laughs) think about this play style?
1: I uh, by the way, I, I was listening to your your post up like the the post post game pod last night um, for for the Pacers game and and you mentioned the dribble penetration and I was like screaming at, in my car like Luca Luca because like he did it too in in the second half of that game like he was absolutely. That's, I think, why he kind of put them over the edge was just because he was finding every nook and cranny, every crack to be able to just get into that, get into the paint painted area to make any kind of play. Right. Um, Yeah, I I thought that that's a key, key aspect to it. Like if there's anybody that's going to be applying a serious amount of rim pressure, the Raptors are going to have problems with it. Um, If there's going to be a big, obviously a really big imposing player. We saw Harrell, who was he's not necessarily a joel embiid type but but he he sure seemed like it he seemed like he was playing ball in his prime shack shoes um with with the Wizards and whatnot, but it's like footnotes, bark notes, whatever you want to say that I've noticed is just the fact that this team will have to run a lot this year to be able to just get anything to go. Uh, I think you've brought it up on your pod. A lot of other really, really smart people have brought it up as well. It's This team has to generate turnovers in order to get going. Um, I think the fact that you know, like they like to speed other teams up with the way that they play defense. They like teams, they, they like to force teams to play faster. Um, and I think that's one aspect that I've noticed on the defensive end. It's where it's like this this chaos engine that they have is just constantly trying to help and recover, help and recover, help and recover um, until they force a turnover and then it, it's guns a blazing. They're trying to run. Like if you can if you can have that formula, which is a tiresome formula, by the way, like that is exhausting basketball to play. Um, which is which is kind of why you saw them have short legs, like they were very very tired against the Pacers last night. If you can sustain that for 82 games, it's a very very fun style to play. It's very entertaining, um, and it's also I think I think it's it's very very in tune with what this roster is. But at the same time, it doesn't seem highly sustainable. And again, maybe maybe me being pessimistic. Uh, but I, I think they've kind of gotten lucky. And to your point, they've played teams where they can be a little bit more imposing on the offensive glass and the defensive glass. Like rebounding has been such a big factor in all of this where they've been able to clean up on the boards and that's helped them leak out and run as well. So if if the rebounding sticks, I think they could as well. Um, but at the same time, it seems a little bit like it's it's on it's on wobbly ground, you know? Rebounding
0: is one of those... It's like an art form and then it's also just effort sometimes because you see in meaningful games, like what, what meaningful game was ever played in LeBron's career where he didn't get over 10 rebounds, right? Like when when you ratchet up the intensity and the meaning of a game, the good players who, you know, couldn't be bothered to rebound a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. they just decide, okay, I'm going to help out. And the Raptors with the length and physicality they have, particularly on the wings, You wonder, is Nick Nurse teasing this out of them every game, this gang rebounding aspect? Because it isn't just Precious or Kim who are banging around down low. They aren't creating a ton of box outs and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it is interesting. What do you think about that? Like, do you think rebounding is scalable for like every player that they can just up it and do it? Or
1: do you think there's a diminishing return for like a large amount of players? I mean, I mean if Fred's getting 10 rebounds against the Magic, why not, right? <laughs> no, um yeah, I, you bring up a good point. I remember last time I jumped on the pod, we talked about rebounding a little bit too and the value of it. Like what what kind of value is there in in grabbing more, more offensive rebounds or or more defensive rebounds? It's it's an interesting it's it's tough to answer without looking at just straight numbers and trying to see what what makes sense. I think effort is a huge part of rebounding and, and obviously you have guys that are going to play their ass off. They're playing hard. Like Scotty is clearly a guy who is going at a hundred constantly. And I think that's why that that's what's helped him be a great rebounder so far for this team. Precious in a lot of ways is similar where he has this motor high motor guy. Um, I think with the system and defensively what they've been able to set up, they need those type of high motor players in order to be good rebounders and a good rebounding team. That can leak out via those rebounds and be able to run. Like it's it's the system. It's like a you, you have to have these type of players um, that that just like to one cause chaos and two impose themselves on the offensive boards or defensive boards. So I think it's interesting. I think the Raptors are like seventh in rebounding right now, and they they haven't been above twenty. I think <laughs> for the past three or four seasons, uh, from what I remember, like they have not been a very good rebounding team. So this is this is just interesting to see. I did not expect them to, to turn out, especially with their whole six foot nine all around lineup. I didn't expect them to be a very, very good rebounding team, but I guess they're at the top of the leaderboards right now.
0: Okay. And on top of that, your guy, uh, particularly the last three, four games, I think has just been fantastic. Fred Van Vliet, uh, my concerns about a fred van Vliet led offense i think are like well put on this show i've said them many times although i still think i do glower him in praise or at least i i try my best to do by the way
1: i think I i i should i should clear this up because we do we do we go we go back and forth on this a little bit i agree with your criticisms like i think your criticisms are extremely fair for what kind of player fred is and you know just like the limitations of any player they exist right like any player has its limitations any player is respective to whatever roster they are they're they're that person uh same thing's applying to to freddy right now but go ahead sorry continue
0: but the mixed martial arts match is still on. Like we're not, <laughs> we're not getting out of that pay-per-view. It will find a charity. It'll be a good cause or something like that. And we'll absolutely, we'll have yeah. it out. Nothing to the face though, because both of us work where our faces are being shown. Okay. That's we're true. not, we're not grinding away, you know, offline. We, we need to be presentable.
1: Uh, okay. Yeah, but I'd, anyway, I prefer, prefer no OCT. That makes sense. I prefer Yes. That, that
0: I actually I have that written up in every contract I ever signed. No CT, please. Uh, but anyway, Fred has been awesome, particularly during the three-game win streak that has you know the past week. The weekly podcast, these things coincide, and I'd like you to have the floor. Just talk about Freddie, your guy doing his thing.
1: Yeah, I look Freddie. Freddie is all look. I, I get so frustrated because at the start of the season, um, you know, you had a lot of people saying, "Look, Fred is not a he's not." He's not a point guard. He can't do this, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, sure, I agree with you. It's not, it's not his best skill set to have, but I think there's always a learning curve there, right? Like you have to allow some time, afford the time and luxury to be able to get better at these certain skills. I think the same thing applies to any player. Like well, I, wanna, I, I have a couple of questions for you at the end. I want to talk to you about OG. Um, you know, ha- having that process of struggling and learning what to do, like that's half the part of development. Like we talk about development and developing guys, but if you don't put them in those situations to fail, how the hell are they going to develop? So I think the same thing applies to Fred VanVleet, where I think at the start of the season, he was maybe trying to be a little bit too much of, okay, what would Kyle do in this situation? What is the what is the right thing to do? I think he's actually adapted a little bit more, um, and the team has as well, to put him off ball. Some possessions make him play off ball a little bit more. It's helped him offensively. It's helped space and just spacing of the team in general when he's on the court. And I think in terms of playmaking, he's, he's gotten a lot better too. He he's, he's getting those, like you mentioned, I believe maybe a couple of nights ago was the first Pacers game uh, where you mentioned there was a secondary action, right? He caught it off the rip and, and he was actually, he drew his defender went went. I believe he was, he was going baseline and then Scotty cut and he kind of fouled him for a fee, easy feed right there. It's, it's not, Brilliant playmaking, but I think those are the type of plays that you want Fred Bambley to make. Um, I think look, the rim finishing is always going to be a concern. Uh, it still is, even though some of the numbers clearly say he's gotten better, I guess. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but yeah, that's always going to be a concern with Fred, you know, his his ability to finish at the rim and and you know, take contact and try to finish. But I think in terms of the playmaking aspect, he can only get better. Um, I think it's just a factor of being put in situations where he can get better. You see guys, and I'm not trying to compare Fred to those guys, but you see guys as they get into their and point guard specifically as they get into their like seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth year, um, they start to figure out reads and defenses a lot more. So they know what's coming at them. They know what to show. They know they know how they can move a defense with either a pass or or something along the lines of that, right? They they know what to do essentially to open things up for a team. I think the same thing will happen with Freddie eventually. It's just that he needs to be given the reps to do it. Um, in a lot of ways, it's it's between him and Scotty and I guess OG for for trying to keep this half-court offense alive because a lot of the times it goes back to those guys to be able to initiate something, whether it be you know, Freddie trying to set up a pick and roll with a guy who can't catch a basketball. Sorry. Didn't mean to just throw it out there, but um, you know, so like that. there's, there's situations where Freddie gets put into a tough spot and he does make the most out of it. He's still trying to create advantages. Um, and, and I think he's gotten a lot better at it already over the seven games that we've seen. So that's my little spiel on Freddie right now.
0: I've been super happy with what he's been able to do. And like for the record, what you said at the top, as far as is this his best role? That's like that's a salient point. Is what what role is he being put in by the team, and what is the team asking him to do? You don't evaluate a player like certainly a lot of people do. They evaluate based on what is this player's best role? What would they look like in this best role? And we've seen Freddie there. Freddie did it, and he got paid for it. He got paid in his best role next to Kyle Lowry and one of Siakam. DeRozan Kawhi, like playing as that guy off ball who's a demon defensively. And he got paid for that. And now I would say honestly, because like this is the thing, he's too much is being asked of him. But also, he's doing once again for the third year in a row, egg on my face, better than I had initially anticipated. The mm-hmm. the drawbacks of his play style and being a lead guard are still very much there but he continues to impress and apply himself in increasingly intelligent ways on the court that like, you know, do you see him as the lead guard on a championship winning team? No, not at all. But, and this will be something we talk about with OG is like finding new ways to impact the floor, even if you're not doing it at a super high percentile relative to your peers, just being able to do stuff on a basketball court makes you increasingly more potent as a player. And that's all I see with Fred is that this is a guy who probably is no better as a catch and shoot operator than he was three years ago. That part of his game has not improved. His pull-up has and his playmaking has. And that stuff probably wouldn't have come to fruition if he wasn't asked to shoulder such a heavy load. And what you get at the end of it, while it isn't a player that will lead you to the promised land as your main guy, it is a wholly more valuable player on court. And that's, you know, I I will maintain Fred is underpaid. He was underpaid the moment he signed that contract. And Fred is super good. I have my qualms about the team having him shoulder this stuff. It's fair. Yeah. yeah. And maybe, maybe this will become, like, a little bit more contentious once Pascal is back and maybe Fred holds on to more possessions than I'd like. But so far, no complaints. Literally, he's doing everything within his means. And I've been... Just so happy to see him continue to improve in these
1: meaningful ways. It's cool. The, the whole idea of roster construction doesn't just apply to Freddie, it applies to literally every player on literally every single NBA team. Roster construction is half the reason why a lot of these fringe top 50 players, top 75 players become successful. Like, I think that's the big difference between a player who is top 75, top 100, to top 50 is they're being put in the right role, being asked to do the right specific things, focusing on what they can do strengths-wise while also trying to minimize their weaknesses. Um, I think Freddie is being put in a position where his weaknesses are shown off a little bit more just because he has to do a little bit more ball handling. So you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's about roster construction more than anything. I, I think a lot of the times people get the sense that, you know, Freddie is just taking it by himself and doing it. It's not that he wants to it's that he's being forced to and and this is just the dynamic of the team right now so yeah it's interesting maybe maybe and to your point like maybe when Pascal comes back there's a wrinkle added to that maybe as Scotty grows as a ball handler there's another wrinkle added to that so we'll see but at this point right now I mean he's he's been doing a good job with the tools that he's been given yeah you you could not in
0: good faith watch this offensive process in the half court and then say i don't like what any of scotty fred and og are doing because the the alternative quite frankly is precious situa or gary Trent jr and the thing yeah. is gary Trent jr is obviously the center of a lot of debates because he is a you know he's polarizing because of the contract he signed and because he does in his offensive game Uh, possess a lot of real hoopers only uh, aesthetics. (laughs) But the thing is, currently, offensively, he's shooting less than 40% from the field. He's not shooting near his shot talent from three, and he still just doesn't pass the ball. And that means, to me, I don't want the ball in his hands, really, because I find that the shots he's able to create exist uh, in a vacuum of inefficiency. That doesn't mean he can't hit. I mean, the Pacers game, I think he hit three straight shots and uh, two of them were just of obscene difficulty. Shot maker, shot taker, that kind of stuff. But, you know, I'd just much rather have him working off of OG, Scotty, and Fred. There, there is yep. no offensive possession where I sit there and say, no, I've had enough of those three. I, let's give the ball to, uh, to Gary Trent. No, I'm not super interested in that. But this allows us to segue into the positive aspect of Gary Trent's game, which, you know, and uh, let's, let's do Gary Trent and Scotty. We'll talk about their defense now. But let's start with Gary Trent Jr. Uh-huh. The, a deflections king, a steals king, a guy who is just working so hard. I use the term. He tried to crawl inside his jersey like a bed bug. And then once they initiated contact, he flopped like a fish. He's on some Pat Beverly bullshit. Like that is that is the type yeah. of pest stuff he is doing. It's it's early years Matthew Delavadova and Matthew Delavadova was nicknamed the human
1: bedbug. We're seeing shades of that from Gary Trent. I did not know that was Matthew Delavadova's nickname. That's an awesome nickname. That's great. That's even that might be better than night off. Night off is also a great nickname. By the way, shout out Davion Mitchell. Just putting it out there. Um, I was gonna say real quick about Gary's defense. Uh, is it is? Do you think? All right. And I I don't mean to throw the question back at you, but is it a Pat Bev trick, y'all? Or is it him like we talked about it with rebounding, right? How half the battle is effort, half the battle is energy situation of him giving more effort, being more energetic, being more feisty. Or is it he's always been this. We just didn't know this type of thing, you know? Yeah,
0: he definitely hasn't always been this like 100 <laughs> percent. He's. Certainly we saw last year and with the Blazers, he tries to hit home run plays on occasion. Do I think he's going to keep hitting those plays at the same percentage that he's getting currently? I don't think so. Like he takes a lot of risks and they've been really paying off early on in the season. But, you know, this is a risk takers defense to be sure. So he fits in in that regard. Like the ethos is something he's ascribed to and fits in with. But the thing is uh, the deflections those are real deflections are a fantastic metric to identify like, where's this defense coming from? Like who's in the right spot. And then you look at what's he giving up as far as driving lanes. And I've actually been pretty goddamn happy with the driving lanes he's given up so far this year. And if you're getting deflections, that mm-hmm. means you are a aggressively on ball where you are in passing lanes. And if you can do those two things without a, fouling a bunch or b giving up a ton of drives neither of which he's been doing i think that means you're a really effective defender and not to mention he is flying around the half court chasing guys off ball like his screen navigation has been better the defensive craft is not something there was no indicators that it would be here But oftentimes defense is a jump that comes out of nowhere rather than shooting. You kind of see this gradual climb and that kind of stuff, or even finishing, you see a gradual climb, but defense can pop off. And I think Gary Trent Jr. He's popped off. Will it stay at this like mind numbing rate? I'm not super sure. I don't know if he'll keep getting steals at this degree, but the thing is, he's been so effective and the roots of uh, consistency, I think are there, honestly.
1: Mm-hmm. you actually you brought up something interesting uh um, well you always do but th- th- specifically here uh, <laughs> uh, you mentioned that like as a, as a product of this defense like this chaotic defense that they play i saw i saw a post the other day where like four of the raptors are in the top 10 or 11 in deflections right it's freddie i believe og scotty and and gary right and that goes to show you that it it like back to the Freddy point, it's roster construction and it's, it's about fit. It's about putting a player in a role where they'll succeed. I feel like this type of defense probably lends to Gary being a better defender just because he's very active in passing lanes and he knows what to do when it comes to, he has, he's a good knack for uh, telegraphing, cross court passes like I've noticed that as well. Like he, he has a very good knack of either recovering to his man by the time the, the the pass is there or actually poking it out and you know the team having to reset. Like he's done that a couple of times this year where I'm like huh that's uh, that was good that you could be a you could be an outfielder or something like that in baseball. Um but but Gary Gary definitely does that like Gary is is in a sense he he knows how to be chaotic within the system. Back to roster construction it just makes sense for him to be that type of player. Um, yeah, I think that's a great point, man. Yeah, to
0: to lean on that point actually a little bit more. I know you watched the end of the Nuggets Minnesota game where Nikola Jokic had two turnovers. One was just a great strip by Kat, and the other was because Jaden McDaniels was looming. And Jaden McDaniels is like uh Inspector Gadget, like go go gadget arms everywhere. It's hard to fathom a cross-court pass when he's sitting in the middle. And Jaden McDaniels didn't get the steal. Malik Beasley did. And that's like, we're seeing some of that with Gary Trent Jr. He is the benefactor of teams are looking at, and I talked about this on the Reaction podcast as well. Teams are looking at court level and seeing Scotty, Precious, OG, like all these super long arms that really confuse passing lanes and what's there and what isn't. And Gary Trent Jr., a little bit lost in the shuffle, is just engorging himself on the opportunities that exist within that defensive framework. Like he's at the, all you can eat buffet. Like, wow, I've (laughs) never seen this much food in my life. I'm going to eat and eat and eat. And to be quite honest, he's been gluttonous defensively so far, so far this year, deflections, steals runouts, like everything he is feasting. It's been cool to see. And, uh, but also like the context helps, but he's done a hell of a job applying himself. It's been really cool.
1: Imagine you're on offense. Uh and you know, you're kind of you're kind of dealing with the idea of okay, do do I pass it to the guy that Scotty is guarding or 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 you know, he's kind of hovering over two guys, right? Do I do I pass it to whoever in the post that's being guarded by OG? Uh okay, no, then you know I'm I'm gonna throw it across the court where Gary Trenton is, you know, maybe helping off a little bit. Nope, never mind. There you go. That's a steal. So yeah, interesting. That was a cool yeah. that was a cool little wrinkle, my friend.
0: Yeah. Hey. We're, we're all here for the cool wrinkles, uh, (laughs) Scotty Barnes. So here's the thing. I, I want to hear your, again, the spark notes of what you think of his defense. And then we'll start to dig in a little further. We obviously know he's got long arms, he's disruptive and he's we've, we've covered that he's in passing lanes on occasion. What have you thought about the man to man and overall the Mm. spacing
1: he's had on defense? First of all, I'd like to start out by saying Scotty Barnes, good basketball player. All right. Yes. (laughs) Very good basketball player. Um, And like, we, we just, we gave him so much praise at at the start of the pod. He's been phenomenal, like blow, like blown away any type of expectations that we've had from him. Um, I think I honestly thought that look defensively, he's not getting to the spots that you imagine uh, he'd be getting to. I think he's relying a lot on his athleticism, his frame, Uh, his ability to recover out on shooters or his ability to be able to rotate quickly because he's just that massive of a human being. Um, He's, he's big, he's a big dude. So at the end of the day, it's not going to seem like he's making mistakes because he's so good at recovering from them, but there are those same rookie mistakes that you'll see with any young player. I I really do think that Scotty does rely a lot on his athleticism, a lot on, um, just being able to recover is quickness. Like he he does have quick feet for a guy his size as well, and that's that's what we've seen. I think once those rookie mistakes get covered up, he'll be a much better defender. The fact that the fact that right now he's still able to make those highlight plays, like the home run play that you say, um, and still make mistakes fairly often on that end, I, I I think that's a really good sign to have seven eight games in, right? I uh,
0: my hot take actually is that. Scotty has benefited by the structure of the defense more than Gary Trent Jr. has early on. That's like, so obviously, it's tough to capture everything in a game on your first watch through. And if you really love the Raptors, I guess do a second watch. If you're watching every Raptors game three times, uh, I hope you're getting paid very handsomely for it. Or <laughs> honestly, like, read a book because you don't need to be doing the third watch through unless you're like a coach stealing, not stealing, getting, okay, like this set looks good. This set looks good. You know, by the way, there there's like a number of coaches that can recognize what's being called on the floor by what hand signals the the coaches make. Like a high school coach is watching Greg Popovich or like Nick nurse. And they're like, Oh, 25 wheel. Cause he goes like, and he does like that. I'm like, what the hell? Anyway, uh, sidebar. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's nuts. (laughs) But the thing is right. Is that I I watch each game twice. I watch once. Everybody knows I watch the game because I talk about every game after it finishes. I watch the game a second time. And then if I'm really, really interested on focusing on one player, a cool thing to do that won't capture everything, but you can go to advanced stats and see who they guarded most that game. Just watch every shot attempt that player took. And it won't capture everything, but it will capture at least some of that guy because the way NBA.com identifies these possessions is, Who guarded that player for the most seconds of that possession so while they may not end up uh defending the shot or contesting the shot you will see them in proximity of the ball or rotating off of it on that possession almost guaranteed and i've been doing that with scotty i gotta tell you this guy is lost defensively
1: (laughs) he is all
0: over the place like Sometimes I'll be watching a possession and I'll be like, Hey, he's supposed to be guarding like Kyle Kuzma, for example, and you can't find him on screen because he's floated off someplace. The dude loves to roam. And the thing is, he's going to, he's going to, you know, that'll be penned in. He'll find his way. A lot of guys who play bigger positions on the court, have a tough time translating immediately because the dimensions of the court change. And while that's benefited Scotty greatly offensively, like a wider court is huge for his long steps benefits him in a big way. Defensively. He's like, Oh, Whoa, this is weird. Like I'm three steps <laughs> away from where I thought I should be. And he's trying to play catch up all the time. But as you said, that length, that motor will it's get him just, back into place. Yeah. It's uh it's an adventure. I, I I urge anybody who wants to get the kind of the de facto, what the hell is. I might Scott just have to
1: do that. I might just have to do that. That's I, I mean, I think I think you said it best because like it's not that he it's like these are natural mistakes that a rookie will make as well. You know, I don't want to make it seem like he's he's worse than what people expected, because I think in college he was a good defender and and. You know, he has those tangible things that can very, very, very quickly translate over. It's just that he's got to learn. Um, I, I remember I, I did a video on DeAndre Ayton, right? And Ayton in his rookie year. And and by the way, this is another thing. Big men, really, really tough for them to learn defense immediately, especially pick and roll defense like that is such a it's such a thing that, you know, coaches like to harp on. Um, same thing's going to apply to a guy like Scotty to a lesser extent because you know obviously the raptors defense is is different but big big men tend to struggle when it comes to to defense and learning schemes and learning when to drop versus learning when to show a little bit more hedges etc cetera, etc cetera. like all these things are 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 things that are little details that someone wouldn't notice like you said on your first watch or, or maybe even your second sometimes but uh it's it's something that he's gonna have to improve on it by the way like as soon as he does, do you expect him to be leaps and bounds a better defender just because of that athleticism and mobility? Like, he already has the the physical gifts to be a good defender. Once he figures out where he has to be on the court, does that now skyrocket him as a defender, if that makes sense?
0: I expect him to be positive game in and game out by the end of the season. It's uh, And that was a great point you made, by the way, with, like, the level of the screen – is like you can say okay you can tell a big man we're playing drop okay we're playing deep drop okay we want you a little yeah. bit higher but screens are not like static screens are yeah, set at a yeah. bunch of different levels and guards and the guys who are you know defending on ball they have the benefit of being tethered to the ball handler but the big man is not tethered to any one place because the sp- the ideal spot to guard these actions on the floor changes based on where every screen is and screens yep. are set everywhere on the floor. Like that's pretty goddamn tough to figure out the spacing. But I I think Scotty, as far as like a Rover and a guy in help side, I expect him to improve a lot as far as the year goes on. But also this is something, well, I, the piece will be out. The biomechanics piece is that the physical implications of bodies of Scotty's measurements, the long legs, the high hips means that he will not, be an ideal guy to put on ball handlers in screen and roll situations because he doesn't turn very quickly it's right. just the way his body works right and when his feet are close together he's not very explosive proportions matter and so having him as a ro- like a rover having him off ball a lot of stuff to blow things up that's where he's going to be the best but that's also a really complex situation to ask a rookie to all of a sudden be really good in anytime like you talked about off night davion mitchell He's not just this incredible off ball defender. He's a monster on ball. Like he's fighting through screens, like he's getting his shoulder ahead, he's curling around, and he's a brick wall. It's on ball defense. And that's, and Ben Simmons, that was his thing too when he came into the league and people were like, is he a top 20 player already? No, it's because on ball defense is super stifling and you can just carry that right over. But off ball defense takes longer. And I, you know, I expect Scotty to come around faster than most. But uh, it's still a slow process. It's hard to be a lead at that in the NBA, which is also why our dearly beloved uh, Pascal Siakam remains uh, underrated, I would say.
1: Uh, a guy that he can learn from, uh, Scotty can learn from, it, is Pascal. Because Pascal has played that rover situation so many times. Uh, he And I think he, I mean, you said it, right? He's He's one of the best in the league at it, in my opinion. Just being able to like, cover such a massive di- distance on defense. Once maybe Pascal can potentially help him out in figuring that out, that's going to be huge for his development too. OG and Banton. Okay.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. So OG and Anobi has drawn a little bit of ire. This is the thing about sports, man. Even the beloved guys, they can catch a little heat. And, uh, you know, you can't always keep a frame of reference of everything a player is doing like in your pocket and look, okay, well, he makes way less than he's worth. He's such a big positive on defense and, you know, Pascal's out. So where are these possessions going? Like you can't, most people aren't going to keep a running tally of things they should be grateful for and then operate within the context of that fandom. Like, you know what? Six missed shots in a row for OG, who cares? Because I know everything here. Like people are going to react, of course, but, He's done pretty well adjusting in some respects. And then I think there's been like, obviously uh, a lack of momentum in other parts of his, uh, his game. But what have you thought about the start of OG and an
1: season? I think initially I thought the defense would be just because of the fact that you get tired having to play both sides of the court so much. I mean, I think OG the past couple of seasons was such a, catch and shoot type player, you know, bit rarely coming off of a pin down to create or et cetera, et cetera. Like they're, they're getting him open, right? They were getting him open for the most part for the past two seasons. Now it's on him to create his own advantages. And that gasses you out way more than it does when, you know, you got to spot up somewhere and take a shot. Uh, I, I did think the defense was going to drop off and it's going to be crazy to see this, but I don't think I've ever seen OG be this good on defense like these past eight games, have been absolutely phenomenal. And it, it's it's a credit to him because he's been able to play around on the offensive end and try some things and fail at things, sure. But also on defense, he's kept it up and been even better. Um, so it's just very impressive to see that he's still been able to keep that two-way ability. Um, I think offensively, I appreciate like Freddie, like Freddie earlier and how we talked about the playmaking, I appreciate the failures. Like I enjoy when he wants to try something and to him it seems rehearsed. Like he, he's like, okay, I've done this in the gym before. Let me see if I can do it in, in a game. It just seems like he's processing that in his head a little bit. And maybe he's gotten the process of what to do with his body, but now he doesn't know how a defense would react to it. So that's what he has to work out over the next 25, 30 plus games, whatever it is. Um, and I'm sure once Pascal comes back, it'll help a little bit as well, because, you know, not a lot of they, they won't be showing to and trying to throw doubles at him now. Um, but I, I think that's that's a huge part of the game. It's like he has to figure out how am I going to implement what I learned in a practice in live action games? Um, and I think that's that's going to be what's next for him seems like he definitely has the physical tools. We talk about how absolutely strong and ridiculous he is like he's a he's he's just it doesn't even make sense but I, I think one of the key parts is is putting what you've done outside of a, a regular season basketball game into into real life stuff i uh, I have a kind of personal story. so when I was in high school, right? I used to be tearing up practices tearing up practices, crazy practice, like just, just I, and then when it Patrick came to the McCaw. court, Patrick McCall. And when it came to the court, I, it, it never translated. It, it rarely did. I couldn't, I didn't figure it out until later on in my life in college, when I started to realize, okay, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to practice to get to that point where I can do it in real life and re in a real game? I'm not saying I'm O.G. Ananobi, but O.G. has to do something similar where he has to realize, OK, hey, all these things I'm doing in practice, I'm, how am I going to apply it in a, in a real life situation on a basketball court?
0: Honestly, great point. The the people listen to the podcast will have heard me talk about this. But basically what you're seeing O.G. do is when he goes into these drill packages, he's slowing the offense down as if he's about to participate in an isolated drill. Like he completely yeah. everything stops and it just becomes one on one. But in that regard, it's not really one-on-one because there's a defense in help side, you know, there's guys pinching in. And in a lot of these cases, when he slows it down, it's turning into really difficult jump shots. And as you said, it's all about finding the way to apply that at game speed, which is a, the most difficult thing to do in basketball. So it's not like we can expect OG to just boom, there it is slow, gradual things that come, but Uh, As far as, and I wonder if this was what you're going to ask me uh, about OG when you said you're going to do it later on, but it's a win, win, win with OG. There's a reason why a guy like Reggie Jackson pops off in the playoffs last year for the Clippers. He does not do that if he was never thrust into a de facto lead guard role with the Detroit Pistons for a stretch of like three years. He never he's never going to have that extra juice or that confidence to come into the Clippers as a bit role guy who was not playing. He's playing less than Rondo for a time. And Rondo Mm -hmm. stinks, bro. Rondo's not good at basketball (laughs) anymore. okay? and Reggie Jackson was losing minutes to him. And all of a sudden, Reggie Jackson comes in. And with Paul George, they eviscerate the Jazz who were just finished eviscerating the NBA over the was it seventy. how many? How many games? 70, 72, Seventy-two. Seventy-two. Yeah, yeah. Seventy-two yeah. game season. And Reggie Jackson was like Jazz, okay, Defensive Player of the Year. Like, take this. No problem. Because, yeah, yeah, and it's because he was put in a role where he was way above his head. But you glean things from that. Why was Tim Hardaway Jr. way more effective than Kristaps Porzingis for the Mavericks? Because Tim Hardaway Jr. was putting up twenty-six shots a game for the Knicks, just being yeah. like, "Hey, man, I'm getting my shots up." I. There is not a situation, Tim Hart, you can put Tim Hardaway Jr. in, where he hasn't taken that shot before like 1,200 times over. He's like, oh, I've seen this. This doesn't scare me at all. And that's the thing about OG that makes me think it's a win-win-win because even if he does poorly, there's going to be a certain amount of circumstances that he takes away from this stretch and says, you know what, I've been here before, and I can just translate that. That's my whole takeaway. And then if he hits and suddenly... I hate the Kawhi comparisons. I don't like them,
1: but... So that's that's what I was going to ask you about. Actually. <laughs> okay, because cause, cause, cause I, I remember in the summer, everybody was doing the whole, oh, he's going to take the leap. He's he's going to be the next Kawhi, et cetera, et cetera. And I know you're not a big fan of that comparison. <laughs> um, but even even from what we've seen so far, eight games in, right? Have you changed your measure of what you think a final OG is like, have you, have you adjusted whatever it's going to be? Is it, you know, Has have you changed what you thought at the end of it?
0: No. OG, uh, the ceiling remains exactly where I thought it was. And by the way, when I say I hate the Kawhi comp, I'm saying that for <laughs> me. And I'm saying that for people who do uh, writing and video content, similar to what I do. There is like, I'm not, Telling stories i'm not doing feature work you know i I will you know down the road that's something i will be doing and hopefully this season you know get out to toronto do some games get some interviews and all that kind of stuff write some cool stuff but i'm doing i think like heavy analysis on most of these guys there is no way a guy who's getting paid to do analysis should filter their idea of og (laughs) ananobi through the lens of Kawhi and only think well, Kawhi played in Toronto. OG's also quiet, and like you know, it's there's like very little comparisons to their game actually, and so that's yeah. that's what leads me like we don't have to guys like me, fans who want to understand players through the lens of players they've previously understood. Go for it, man! Like you just wanna you just wanna know like okay, who is this player? You know what are, what are they like? And then it's easy to say, hey, you know Kawhi Leonard. And they go, hey, yeah, that guy won a championship. Then you say, he's like, <laughs> he's like him, but not yet. Then you go, hey, well, so this guy is good, but not super good yet. Like that's that's right. a perfect, that's a perfectly good way to understand basketball as a fan. I'm I'm being curmudgeonly because I don't like people who do the same thing as me. And this is like heavy analysis. This isn't <laughs> the story of the game that are like, you know what? I've watched thousands of hours and I'm ready to say he's Kawhi Leonard. It's like, man, you've like, you've lost the plot. So that's why, that's why I'm (laughs) curmudgeonly about it. That's, that's all it is. But not that many people, not, not that many people do analysis the way I do it. So. Talk uh, your shit. Talk your shit. No, no, I don't even mean like that. Like, I, like I'm about to (laughs) write like a a biomechanics piece. Is that something people even want, you know, like, is that overly, you know, niche? That's, that's what I mean. Sometimes I dive too far into it, but, uh, that, that's all I mean to say. It's like, I, I'm a curmudgeon when it comes to comps, as S knows, <laughs> like <laughs> way too well.
1: Listen, I, I'll say this. I actually, I understand your, your your your. I don't, I don't even know what it would be, like what to put it in words with, but like, I, I understand why you, you're not a big fan of comps. And I think my reasoning for, I guess, helping other people contextualize is like, I'm trying to be the translator, you know what I mean, for a lot of people who may not know. So Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like, hey, who's Delano Banton? Why is Delano Banton this player? Why is Delano Banton this? And you're like, you know, he reminds me of this guy. He has the length. He's this, this, this. Like I I threw out Sean Livingston a couple of days ago. And I had a bunch of people be like, wow, I see it. Yeah. And it's like, obviously, he's not Sean Livingston. You know what I mean? And Sean Livingston, as a rookie, was a hell of a player, right? But at the same time, there are some characteristics that you can like take away and try to contextualize for someone who may not have watched those thousand hours. That's it. That's the only reason I like the comp. It it, it it's also fun because you can just be wild and and get you know, killed for it. Like when I said Evan Mobley. And DeAndre- <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I, I called Evan Mobley on Twitter and I said, you know, reminds me a lot of DeAndre Ayton and everybody's like, boo, pitchforks, <laughs> kill him, <laughs> like burn him at the stake. And it's just like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, but yeah, it, it's just, it's a way to translate it for people, man. It's a way to translate it for people. It's uh yeah, I totally get it. And basically, like
0: comps, I'm I'm the old guy yelling at the cloud when it comes to comps. There's I would never ever say that I have the like correct idea. I have my idea. Like I am talking about basketball on my terms. And when right. I say yeah. like, oh, look at the way that like OG plants his right leg, you know, and I'm identifying like small pockets of a player's game. If you're like you know as a guy who just got like back into baseball this year i played a lot of baseball so there wasn't like that much of a catch-up experience but if i mm-hmm. just start watching like say tennis and somebody's like well he plays like and the doll i'm like hey i know that guy you know an absolute <laughs> hypocrite like i look like an asshole because i'm like well if i don't know then comps are right, cool. right, right. Yeah, you know yeah, kyle yeah. kuzma as far as i'm concerned is a boat as is lebron james <laughs> like you know what i mean it's just right. me being a, you know like oh we'll talk about basketball on my terms. Uh, you're
1: just- uh, you're like uh, I like and I, I I know a lot of guys who would love your work and I guess I'll I'll send them your work now. But like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like but like y- y- you embody, in my opinion, a lot of what like a, a gym rat would love about reading basketball. Um, like someone who constantly works on the game, a trainer a coach, someone like that would absolutely love your work. Like I know guys who would, would love to know about body mechanics and why Scotty's being successful about it. You know what I mean? And I think it goes back to like, they put hours in the gym. They understand that stuff. They understand the technique aspect planting a right foot for OG might make them just as excited as you. So it's like, it excites me, man. Oh, it got (laughs) me so excited. (laughs) So it's just, it's just like whatever the, whatever the audience, whatever works for the audience, man, whatever works for the audience, we, we cater to you, you know? So, yeah.
0: when I've seen OG spin and carry his weight out of bounds. I've seen him fall driving to the rim. When I saw him spin plant his right leg was so hard yeah. that Levert actually went in front of him like he he spun and he stopped his momentum at yeah. a way quicker rate than the guy who was sliding alongside defensively that's like <laughs> that's incredible and then he rose up he transferred that kinetic energy into a dunk I was like oh my god please like call the ambulance I cannot control myself I'm going to go into cardiac yeah. arrest
1: OG is a lot like if if like Superman got amnesia and forgot who he was (laughs) and then like one day he flicks a stop sign and the stop sign flies to the you know to the other side of the street like I think it's it's like that too he does something in the in the game and he's like oh shit I can do this like this is I'm capable of this and you know he might look back at it later in in tape and be like okay so how do I how do I apply it like that's that's essentially what stage OG is at right now.
0: He he's perpetually stuck in discovering powers, learning about yeah, that stage. Like exactly. well, we'll see, we'll see if the superhero stuff comes. They know ne- yeah. you know, well, you read a lot of comics. Is there a superhero who never really learns how to control their powers? Who's like always stuck hmm. in the Bambi on ice stage of their powers?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh Shazam would probably be that because Shazam is, you know, he's a kid through the whole thing. Billy Batson is is a kid. So he's constantly rediscovering things and he never understands the full potential of his superpowers. So he'll like zap something and realize, Oh man, I can do that. Um, I think OG in a lot of ways is probably the same because he's, he's also realizing all the superpowers and cool things that he can do. And he's, he's kind of trudging along, trying to figure it out. Also kind of feels like uh, I'm sure you've watched it, but invincible where like he he has no idea what the full extent to his powers are, but he gets beat up so much where he's he's forced into situations where he has to learn and he has to kind of access and tap into that. Same thing's gonna happen to OG, you know. I, I really like that. You're Delano Benton. Yeah. Um I, I look, I, I think the quick notes with Banton is that um he was much better than people expected him to be as well. Uh, and I think that's just clear from where he got drafted to what scouts were saying about him coming into the draft to him, not even making, I believe it was the NBA combine. Like he made the G league combine, but didn't make the NBA. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. I'm, I, I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, but at, at the same time, I, I just think he's such an incredible transition player. Like my goodness, this guy can run the court. And the thing is, his size, a lot like Scotty, affords him the ability to finish uh, above guys and and be able to kind of embrace contact and go up with it. We saw that a couple of times in that Pacers game, and I think it's just like he has to just continue growing that aspect of his game is, is being confident enough to do it. Sure, the outside shot is something that he has to develop, and that'll come with time. I I think I've liked what I've seen so far. He's one willing to take it, and two, he's hit a couple. So like it's it's not like it's uh, it's over with. I just love the fact that he is very, very confident in himself. I think his ability, and I know you've touched on this in the past too. It's like his ability to change the momentum of a game, and ch- like, like, come into the game and immediately either be a ten-point swing in the positive direction or a ten-point swing on the opposite end. Uh, it's, it's something natural. It's something innate. It, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's that intangible aspect of his game that you don't really. Uh, you don't really know where it comes from. Maybe it is the the whole, you know, him being from Rexdale and, and the crowd, you know, uh, I guess, exciting him. But at the same time, he's just very, very functional. Like he works on his team. It, it, he makes sense on this roster. Uh, and, you know, obviously Nick Nurse realized that too. So kudos to him, man. Really, really, like it's been such a joy to watch that guy thrive and and kind of live out his dream it's it like imagine a kid from toronto getting to play for the raptors like holy crap that is the coolest thing ever
0: and from jump street too just popping off getting drafted there getting to do like you know the honeymoon phase where he's in every you know social promotion tiktok whatever right and everybody's like hell yeah this guy is he's the nom de plume of the uh (laughs) of the raptors fan base because he grew up and he, you know, he grew up watching the Raptors. He grew up watching, you know, the RTZ, like hashtag yeah. RTZ Raptors, you know. And there's a lot of young fans who really, they they had the same experience. They watched the same teams and they probably, he probably had the same reaction to a lot of it too. Very cool stuff. I mean, he, he experienced the championship as like a kid, more or less. That's kind of <laughs> yeah. nuts. Like he was, he was wearing a championship hat the other day. Super cool thing. Uh yeah, that's wonderful distillation of Banton. I really liked your rundown on him. That's uh that's fantastic. Okay, New York, Cleveland, Brooklyn, uh who who do you like most? And, and Washington as well. Is there a game you're looking forward to the most?
1: I'm assuming these are Raptors opponents cuz I'm I'm guessing cuz they are also Raptors opponents. Um <laughs> I, look, I'm very, I'm excited for the Knicks game. Don't get me wrong. I think this will be, uh, and I know they've played Chicago, but I do think the Knicks will be a bigger test, and and maybe even a better test. They're also playing really well as well. So I think I think New York will be a fun one. The one I'm going to pick is Cleveland because I need to see Evan Mobley versus Scotty Barnes, um, just as much as I am a proponent and a, a fan, an advocate, if you will. Of Scottie Barnes, I am very much so an advocate of Evan Mobley and what he can bring to a basketball court. I, I I know we've talked about this before off air, but like I I really did think that he had the potential to be the number one guy in this draft. Like he could be the best player five years from now. We talk about it. Evan Mobley is that guy. Um, he's clearly shown it, and I think it's him and Scotty, You know, so far eight games in, whatever you want to call it, to to be that rookie of the year this year, I am so excited to see those two clash. They're probably not going to play each other that much. They might have a couple matchups where they, where they face up against each other. But at the same time, I'm very, very excited to see just those two work. Like, you know, we saw Suggs versus Scotty. Um, now we get a chance to watch Mobley versus Scotty and and see the differences. So that, that's that's what I pick. Cavs, bro. I love the Cavs. Like Cavs and Wolves, man. Those are my those are my baby teams this year. I'm I'm rooting for both of them to to make leaps and bounds this year.
0: Uh the rest of the schmucks were saying fade for Cade. You were saying lowly for Mobley. Uh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what a flex. What a flex for you. And just <laughs> fantastic taste. Evan Mobley plus the wolves. Uh we're we're very synonymous in that regard we like we like a lot of the same things but i uh yeah i'll go with the knicks because the knicks uh i want to bing bong. i just want to see those fans freak out i want to see if they're oh, talking yeah. trash after the game i want to see the video that comes out uh the energy is palpable and it's like very meme worthy a lot of stuff comes out so yeah i uh and mitchell robinson uh the villainous uh <laughs> The villain, <laughs> kind of villainous you know he brings that aspect he just yeah just another another one bites the dust he's also uh,
1: i was gonna say I, I think like he's he's probably the no uh, wait yeah he might be the best rim protector we've we've faced so far if i'm not mistaken correct me if i if i'm missing like a huge guy uh But yeah, he's probably the best rim protector we've faced so far. So Mitch, Mitch Robinson should be an interesting one too. I, I was gonna say New York wise, it's also the seventy fifth anniversary, like November first, nineteen forty six. They they were playing this game, so very very cool aspect of it. Very very good choice, my friend.
0: Mm hmm. Uh, Miles Turner might be the best.
1: Uh, You're right. Rim protector. Thank you. I was missing one. You're right. You're right. But also
0: New York's defense around Mitchell Robinson is far better than the Pacers defense around Miles Turner. In fact, the Pacers defense around Miles Turner barely qualifies as a defense at times. So he's uh, he's doing a lot of heroic stuff. S, uh, thank you so much. But the floor is yours, brother, to uh, plug, plug, plug away on anything you might want to let the
1: people know about. Before, before we do the plug-in, can I ask you one question? Basketball? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. 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 So I was, I was off the Eddie and I was, I was wondering, this is a question that I had for you. Okay. Do you think positionless basketball has made A, big, big point guards more valuable or B, small point guards less valuable? Which one? Are those mutually
0: exclusive?
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, okay
0: yeah. <laughs> okay uh
1: i guess it's made or or mm-hmm. pick which one pick which one is more pick which one is more because i know it's done both i guess but which one yeah hmm.
0: this is a great question and one that i'm saying it's made big point guards more valuable because i still think small point guards are really they still make noise in the league they're still super important and uh perimeter defense is still super important. And a lot of the best uh, perimeter defenders are little guys, you know, small guys. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, big guards have more promise than ever, I would say. So I think, yeah, there, there are some negative effects for small guards and we'll see that more and more maybe, Mm -hmm. but uh, especially for big guards who want to get drafted. I mean, you know, guys like SGA tearing up the league and that kind of stuff can only make teams kind of froth at the mouth at the idea of having, a switchable guy at six, five who can also, uh, you know, drive, a, be an offensive engine. So, yeah, I think it's probably more, it more benefits the big guards than it takes away from the the small guys. What do you
1: think? That makes sense. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I, so I think, so I was watching a game randomly and that's, that's why I thought of the question was, um, I realized, all right, cool. We're slowly getting to the point where like bigs and yes, there are the big, bigs, like the seven, two guys, the embeds, the, you know, Carl Anthony Towns of the world, right? Those guys still exist, right? But I think it's gotten to the point where like position basketball is is like shrinking the height or actually making the average height in the NBA uh, a little bit more. Is it a- average or mean? I'm I i do not remember. but I guess it's making it so that like taller guys, the the taller guy on average is getting shorter. And then the the point guards, the smaller guys on average are getting taller. So like everybody is within. Six foot four to six foot ten versus maybe ten years ago, like it was six foot to seven foot. So it, it's just it's gotten to the point where like the range is shrinking, and I think that's been a byproduct of positionless basketball. So then I thought, okay, cool. What's more valuable then? Like, is it still more valuable to have a big point guard versus a, a small guard? But yeah, that that's the that's I the think, reasoning behind the question. I think I know exactly
0: what you're saying. You're saying luke riddenauer wouldn't cut it today and neither would aaron gray but a lot of guys in the middle do now i mean
1: yeah 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 exactly but i I mean also there's like there's there's exceptions to the rule like tj mcconnell is out here cutting people up and he's he's probably like six one right and then on the other side there's still like your your if it's a Zubots of the world but again those guys are very very talented players they're not Luke Ridnour and Aaron Gray so like you know it's it's i guess it's just you have to be very very good if you're outside of that range now whereas that range that i mentioned you're you're afforded a little bit more of a leeway tj mcconnell
0: is my enemy because no matter how much i try and stylize my game after james harden Everybody on the court (laughs) is going to call me T.J. McConnell, okay? I can be as nice with it, with a a zero-step, like, snatchback as I want, and everybody's still going to call me T.J. McConnell because that bastard is so grimy.
1: See, that's crazy because you're lefty, right? Yeah.
0: I would go Luke Kennard.
1: Who the hell goes T.J. McConnell? And Luke Luke Kennard Kennard
0: has a receding hairline, too. It's too perfect.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, no, yeah, I would, I would definitely do Luke Kennard. Listen, I, if you hit a three right in my face, I'd be like Kennard ass mother, you know, like you know, uh, he's a Luke Kennard. He's Luke Kennard. I see it. I see I'll take that. I'll take that over over TJ. But okay, uh, yeah, four is yours, brother. Uh,
0: plug, plug, plug away,
1: man. Uh, check out the Scores YouTube channel. We do great, great content. We're we're ramping things up for the NBA season. Uh, we just had something drop on the Hawks this week. We're gonna have something come out about the the Hornets. Uh, I have a story, a feature, if you will, uh, about the Spurs dynasty, which is coming out on Saturday. Very, very excited for that one. And, uh, yeah, that's it. That's all I got to plug. Check out the, the scores YouTube channel, and you can probably see me on there as well.
0: Hell, yeah. Uh, I watch, like, tons and tons of score content. S is – he's making moves over there, okay? And uh, particularly anytime he dips his toes out of basketball – is a treat for me cuz I get to see somebody <laughs> I like talk about something that I'm new to. Huge <laughs> fan of that. And that same quality where you're like, wow, you know, this likeable guy teaching me something. I'm sure you listener can go to the scores YouTube channel and and dabble in some of that yourself and then come back yeah. to us and and you let us know if you if you felt the same way. And if you didn't, hey man, like negative thoughts keep them to yourself. We don't want any part of that. But s, <laughs> thank you so much
1: for jumping on, brother. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. And by the way, I already get all the negative thoughts in in my quote tweets, so don't even worry about that. Appreciate you, man. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right.
0: And listener, whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.